All right, what's up, everybody? Yate, Steve Pelletier, Yunishe, Maidish, Kijinishli, Bilagana, Bashishin, Kinlachini, Dashache, Bilagana, Dashanella. Welcome to another edition of Res Ball here with my guy, Sean, uh, from Half Court Podcast of the Woodward Pistons. Normally, we are together on the table talks. What's up, Sean? Uh, plug anything you want to at the front. So happy you're here. Steve, my guy, I feel like all of my uh, introductions I've ever done are crap. Because the fact that you went through it and nailed that, I'm impressed. But anyway, yeah, you can find me at uh, you can find me at Sean Afcourt on Twitter if I can get my Twitter back. So here's a weird thing: like I I Thank put in you, my Ron. so so here's what happened: I put in my date of birth on my profile, and once I did that, it just broke. Like I can't access it; it's locked. Like it just like it just won't let me access anything. And I reached out to their support. To their support people but like all the rumors around twitter is how many people elon's firing so i have no clue what it's gonna get there but reliably you can find me at from half court that's where we do a lot of content you know like you said we're pistons we do a lot of you know table talks each and every week and you know a lot of content there as well but uh and uh i do a lot of writing as well on woodwardsports.com you can catch you know i currently cover the pistons for them and i uh, do a good amount of writing each week so you can check it out there yeah, absolutely. Go to Woodward Sports, follow all of his articles, keeping up with the Pistons and writing definitely interesting and in-depth content. Um, this team that is very much in flux right now, sadly, Cade Cunningham is injured out for the year, as recently announced, but we've kind of known about that as a fan base for, I don't know, probably like two weeks earlier right? than what it was reported. It just seemed to be um, the safe a safe bet anyway. Once, so. once it was announced that Cade was out indefinitely, when you saw where the team was record wise, when you saw, you know, like what type of injury it was, it just felt like the writing was on the wall. Like, like no matter, you know, like in, in like, you know, Cade taking the time to rest and, you know, like see if that helps and, you know, seek out medical opinions and see, you know, like what the best option is for him, all the respect in the world that they did that process and that, you know, and that ultimately they are taking this route. It's the best thing for him. And it's like, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, well, like if there is an injury you want your young player to have, like, I guess this is like the least sucky injury because like, there's not necessarily like, like long-term ramifications for the most part. Now it depends on, you know, injury to injury. Not everything's the same, but listen, like I, you know, like I, I get why a lot of people are upset, you know, obviously from a personal standpoint, you know, like not only, you know, like is Cade Cunningham, you know, like the best player on the team and the most enjoyable to watch player on the team just from covering standpoint, but you know, like from a fan standpoint, he's one of my favorite players as well. You know, just what he means from the fact that he's, you know, the first number one pick of my lifetime, you know, like for, for the Pistons, you know, like just what that means. So yeah, obviously, you know, it sucks, but you know, I, I guess it's one of those things where, you know, everyone just says, you know, like, Oh, we'll go, we're going for Wimby now, which like, I don't think that was ever the intention. I still don't even think that's Detroit's direct intention. I just think that's where they're at. So, and and I guess if there's a if there's a situation where you have to have some of the best odds in the lottery, I guess this is the one you want them to ha to be in, right? So like that if there's any silver lining at all, it's it's that in the fact that you get your young players a lot of run, like the fact that Killian Hayes has the opportunity to play 34 plus minutes a night 
and doing what he's doing right now, that, that, that wouldn't really be happening or the odds of it happening would be far less if Cade was in the lineup. So, you know, overall, I think there will be good things that will come from it. I think like it could be seen as a blessing in disguise in a way from a development standpoint, but at the same time, never, it's just never fun when you lose your best player, you know? Yeah. In terms of the injury, obviously you never want to have your players injured, but I remember I'm a Niners fan. So I remember when the Niners drafted Michael Crabtree, he had a stress fracture in his foot, um, Mm -hmm. which ended up being not, not that big of a deal. And not every stress fracture is the same, but it seems as long as you give it time and rest, which was the Pistons MO. And to your point, I think that even if the Pistons, they were like undefeated at that point, I think they would have taken this route either way because it's your number one overall franchise cornerstone. The number one priority should be health and happiness of the franchise, Kate Cunningham. Well, and and if you look at, you know, like I know a lot of people were really excited because we, you know, this summer we got not one, but two exciting, young, dynamic, athletic players in the draft. And I think when you see, you know, those two types of guys that have the type of athleticism where they can bounce out of the gym, you know, and, and you see them come on the team, you naturally, you know, a lot of fans, you know, like, oh, well, we're going to be good now. Like, we're going to take a next step. Like, we haven't had this type of athleticism in a long time, which is true. But they're also still insanely young. And I think it's important to remember, like, you know, a lot of, like, you know, first of all, Troy Weaver told you with the decisions he made this summer that it wasn't about this season. Like, getting Jalen Duran was a signal that this season was about development because they traded Jeremy Grant to get that pick, which they ultimately use go and get to go and get Jalen Duran. But part of that is that not only do they have to take in the contracts of Noel and, and like Burks and like, you know, like through like a later deal and like eat some of that salary, but like also they're like, they're making the decisions like of the open salary cap space they had this summer, they decided, Nope, we're going to punt that to next summer. And so that was a conscious decision that Troy Weaver made of, we could have made this team better this season, but ultimately he took the long-term route and now we'll have even like with the fact that, you know, you have even more cap space, you know, next season you have the, you know, like the, the good, like the, 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 like a good mixture of, you know, young players that are, you know, that are growing and playing well with like solid veterans. And then you throw in Cade and then you throw in whatever pick you get in the lottery, you throw in whatever you get in free agency through trades, like, because sat, like salary cap space isn't just about free agency, by the way. Like a lot of people just talk about, oh, well, like, who are they going to be able to sign? Well, dude, it's about the fact that you can take salary back in a trade too. You can go tr- make trades now. You you have financial freedom. So like that, like to me, like that's, you know, like that to me, like next year's always been when, you know, when we're pushing the chips in the middle of the table. So if we if we can get this taken care of, and the beautiful thing is, like from the sounds of it, Cade's supposed to be healthy again by the end of the season. So for all intents and purposes, it sounds like this summer isn't going to be a rehabbing summer. It's going to be a development summer. He can still be in the gym and play with guys again. So if if there's any like if there's any scenario that you want to have for your young guy to be able to come back next year and succeed, it's that one. Because when he comes back next year, it's not like Cade won't have played basketball for a long time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing on Cade Cunningham is Michael Jordan only played 18 games in his second year. So 
parallel there. Kate's already well, shared all these numbers with Jordan. And, yeah. You know, Jordan came back from that. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, listen, ultimately, it's just it's just like you said, it's just Cade's path to becoming the next goat. You know, like he, like Michael Jordan had to endure this, you know, in his second season. Tom Brady missed an entire season of his career as well. You know, like goats some, for some reason, we just get we just get deprived one year. We just their greatness is just so good, Steve, that like, you know, like the good Lord's like, hey, don't take this for granted. And so, you know what? I won't be taking K for granted after this year because good Lord, some games, some of these games have been, man, if that, if that Charlotte Hornets game wasn't as much of a barn burner as it was, Steve, that had some, that had some snooze fest potential. Absolutely. So get better, Cade. <laughs> get better, Cade. We just want to see you back on the court next season. Can't wait for that to happen. Yeah. Speaking of the Charlotte Hornets and the Detroit Pistons, though, yes, we are Pistons uh, people here. We mainly write and cover things on Pistons, but this is a draft-related show as well. So this is really aimed at us down at the bottom of the standings. Charlotte, Detroit, Orlando, the Wizards, the Bulls, surprisingly. Can I ask Spurs, you a question, Steve? The Rockets. The Thunder, all these teams at the bottom of the standings right now. Yes, go ahead and ask a question. Do you think? I, I and I know it's only like twenty some games and in, like into the season. Do you think if Charlotte could go back to draft night and take? Do you think they would take back that Jalen Duran trade? Do you think they would take back the Mark Williams selection and stick with who they originally selected and Jalen Duran? You know the big that they had the opportunity to have. But instead, went for Mark Williams. And I, I listen. I know it's year one. I know it's like a quarter in the season. And I hate you know hindsight drafting and hindsight GMs. You know what I mean? But dude, Mark Williams has only played in three games, and he's averaged three point seven points and two point seven rebounds. And he's older than Durant. Like. I mean, the easy answer is absolutely they would, but maybe they believe in Mark Williams long term. Charlotte hasn't exactly been known for making the how do I put this the, the right optimal, decision, the most optimal draft choice or the ones with the most upside. I think if anything, Lamelo is the outlier in terms of that. Most of the other prospects they've picked are oh, kind wait. of the quote unquote safe. Guys, right. so Mark Williams does fit that mo more, like, and maybe they just really didn't believe in Jalen Durant, and then they're like, ah, he's only doing this because he's surrounded by good guards. Ah, we don't have a, a Isaiah Stewart here to protect him from yeah. like doing perimeter stuff. So maybe, but all I gotta say is, thank God that they passed on him. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because like, good lord, man, like the like the instincts that he has, like rebounding, like the fact that this guy. It's not just the fact that he's notching like 19 rebounds in a game. It's the fact that he, like six of them are on the offensive glass. Like it's the fact that he's creating so many second chance opportunities. And like on top of that, you talk about how, you know, Isaiah Stewart's been able to like protect him from like being on the perimeter a little more. But like Jalen Duran towards the end of the game was switching on the perimeter and was guarding Terry Rozier. It was forcing him to miss shots and, you know, was, was, was taking important assignments down the stretch. And listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving them like a ton of credit for this game because they gave up 134 points. This wasn't exactly a defensive clinic by any stretch of the imagination. But the fact that Duran is comfortable with switching on or like is able, like at times, you know, guard, you know, guard guards on the perimeter and like is, you know, is as committed as he is in the defensive end. Like those are things that like 
Andre didn't really have like a full commitment to this young with his rebounding skills. So like, and the fact that Duran's never going to be like forced to be the franchise guy, the number one player, like, I think it's just a perfect situation for him, but sorry to get, sorry to get sidetracked. I'm just, he just blows me away, man. It's easy to get sidetracked with Jalen Duran Cause like you said, he's not even ahead of schedule. A lot of people were like, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to switch the fact that he's been able to do it and do it at a solid like way now in Detroit, that just opens up his ceiling even more. A lot of people called him baby Dwight, you know, baby Dwight Howard. And he's shown a little, little bit more perimeter defensive skill. He's not, a, he's one, not so. just ahead of schedule. He took that and tore it in half. Like he, like he was like, screw your schedule. Like this guy just turned 19 a month ago and he's now in the starting lineup. I thought we were going to have talks about him starting realistically in March after the all-star break. That yeah, was same, my mentality. Same. This guy earned it in November, December. Like genuinely earned it we were having conversations about about this guy maybe starting in the third week well i jumped on that bandwagon or maybe i drove the train in preseason because it was just oh, like yeah, what's the downside of this for sure yeah and i was somebody too that thought he would have time in the g league just because of all the yeah. other bigs they already had on the team with nerlands and bagley and Stu, um and Olinick at the time yeah um, so I, yeah I, like there were people like when when Noel came in, people thought that he was going to start. Like there was like a legitimate debate on how much playing time he was going to have and like what his role was going to be. And like even I thought that Noel was eventually going to transition into you know into the third big and was going to start as our backup. But the fact that they've just full trusted Duran since day one and and that it was never even a conversation with Noel being in, in the rotation, that he was solely a break glass in case of emergency big. I mean, to me, that just shows how much, you know, just how mature Duran is and how ready he is for this opportunity. Like that, you know, just, just best case scenario on that, like on his rookie year so far on that front. Yeah, absolutely. It hasn't translated to wins yet, but that was part of the, the thing this year. Was this a year of experimentation? It's the year of development, as you said before. Right now, Detroit is 8-22. and 22. We're going to really be looking at the top five teams down there with them as well. Yep. Orlando is 9-20. and 20. Charlotte, who they just defeated last night, 7-21. and 21. Mm -hmm. Houston is 9-18, and 18, and then the Spurs are 9-19. and 19. Although OKC in there, too, at 11-17, and 17, they seem to be, like, want to be down here in this range. The other right, and, and like, the Wizards are, like, range, like, they probably the Wizards... don't want to be... Yeah, the Wizards are like, you know, like, maybe we'll come down there. The Bulls are like, should we join you? Should we try to get better? And it's like, no, Bulls, you should probably try to join them, like, as fast as you can. Like, it's December 15th. I'd be trying to trade all of your guys now, now that all these contracts are tradable. But Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So thinking about these teams, thinking about our own team in the Pistons, the number one thing is we obviously all want Victor Wembanyama, right? Of course. What would what do you think Victor Wembanyama would look like on the Pistons to start there? So, I think objectively if you were to look at if you were to look at the, you know, the, the current like five teams that are like in the running, right? Or like that are like most prominently in the running of, you know, Orlando, Detroit, Charlotte, San Antonio and Houston. I would say Detroit by far would be his best fit. I think 
you know, Orlando, even though like, you know, you would have a ton of length. I think you would almost have too much length. You know, I think like, you know, like, you know, I think the bowl bowl experiment is something they clearly want to keep going with. And I think, you know, like with Paulo, I think that that would cause like some, some awkward issues. I think like, like combining Victor Wimbanyama generational, you know, like athletic freak with Cade Cunningham, who's a generational leader and a point guard and like an IQ type guy with guys like Killian, who, it, who we've seen is like his abilities, like as a playmaker, throw a seven, five lob threat and perimeter guy with him. Good Lord. Like, I mean, like Victor Wimanyama is the type of guy where you throw him on any team and he's going to, he's going to go make something happen if he's healthy. Right. But like, that's, but like, if you talk about like a situation where like they could actually be dangerous right away, that's Detroit. You know, like if he goes to San Antonio, that's still a roster. Like this is, they are at the very square one of, of a rebuild. If he were to come in, he would get all of the touches. He would probably have one of, if not the highest usage rate in the NBA. You know, like if, if, if he were to go, if he were to go to Charlotte, you know, him and him and LaMelo would be intriguing and fun. But like you said, what it, I would have a genuine question about what they would be able to build alongside that, what they would be able to do you know, outside of, of Wembenyama and ball. Like, obviously you'd have something special right there. And it's not like they have some bad rotation pieces right now, but like at the same time, like, you know, like of all these teams that are, you know, that are at the bottom right now, I like them the least. And that's even with San Antonio right there. Like, I know, I know Charlotte has Lamelo, but like, I just, I, I hate how they're set up for the future right now. Like it feels like, like of all the teams that need to win the lottery, it's them. I just would question what they'd be able to do with it, you know. Like, but you know, overall, I feel kind of opposite. I think the best fits, if I was like Wembenyama's camp, the three places I would really, really, really want him to end up are San Antonio, because, like you said, he could be the guy taking over. They don't really have a point guard either, so uh, he'll be able to set up and play make more. We obviously know Pop and that staff and what they've been able to do with the top European players, the top um, overseas players. And then they have a Devin Vassell and they have a Keldon Johnson and it, they have the other younger guards and Branham and, and Wesley. Yeah. They haven't really done much yet, but are if there I were Victor, to have this like starter set of like, oh, these guys can all work around women. Yeah, especially Vassell and Johnson, like they can just make me space the floor out and yeah. uh, cut and do other things to play off of him. And then women Yama is going to sat down your defense. Pirtle's a free agent, I believe. So yeah, yeah the center of the front court's wide open and power forward spot. There's a reason why Keldon Johnson has had to play power forward for the San Antonio Spurs because, mm -hmm. you know, Dougie McBuckets is the other one there. Fantastic backup player, rotation guy, but definitely not a starter. Yeah. If I were Vicks, if I were Vicks camp, I would, I would have some trepidation on the Spurs solely just because, you know, there, there is no telling as to how much longer pop has. And it's not that, you know, it's not that I don't, that you wouldn't trust this organization because the Spurs over the course over the last, you know, like 20 plus years have been one of the best run organizations in the NBA as far as how they've done things, how they've contended, you know, how consistently, you know, they've been, you know, in the playoff picture. But, you know, again, you still don't know who's going to be, you know, who's going to be the heir apparent. You don't know what's going to be the future there. And, you know, I, I agree with you in the sense that, like, if, if you just want to, like, you know, if you just want to go get a squad and, like, you just want to be the unquestioned number one guy, have the ball in your hands all the time, and like, I absolutely agree with you. Like, if you want to like just let Victor Wembanyama like fully unleash day one, 
throw him in San Antonio, throw him in Charlotte. Hell, he could even do that in Houston. I don't like Jalen Green's there, but they would say, move over, buddy, get Victor the ball. Yeah, Charlotte definitely would be another good one, I think, because of that. I mean, the reason he moved over from um, the previous team he was on, which I can't think of off the top of my head, to Metropolitan's 92, where he's at now, is to be the featured guy, to have a team built around him, to be the number one guy on offense and on defense. And with Charlotte, he would immediately be that. Not that LaMelo is going to take a back seat or anything, but LaMelo would love to play with him, too, to get set him up for easy lobs, set him up for yeah. corner threes. They could do pick and pop, they can do pick and roll. And then the, the part of it that that is could give everybody trepidation is Michael Jordan in that front office hasn't exactly shown that they know how to build. Yeah, Mitch Kupchak isn't exactly put together a winning roster in a while. But in their defense, like if they want to keep that draft philosophy of like getting P.J. Washington, um, of getting these solid other guys – that aren't going to be all-stars, but great role players and trade for somebody like Gordon Hayward, who if healthy is fantastic and like a number three role, then that would work. You have LaMelo, you have Wembenyama, and then you just got to fill out the rest of it. The defense, um, as Steve Clifford, I don't know if you saw Steve Clifford break last night after the Piston game, but man, I mean, he's right, right? Like nobody on that team wants to, to play defense. Everybody's putting up shots um, and you just can't win that way. That'll be the big thing. With them is like okay, women Yama's here, but who else is here to play defense? If if Victor Wimbenyama ends up being coached by Steve Clifford, I'm gonna lose my mind. But that's a whole other conversation. I my I, I I'm curious to see, and like you know, maybe this is like a storyline that for like down the road, seeing obviously where the chips fall. I wonder if Victor Wimbenyama could potentially force his hand on where he'd want to go. I wonder like if this is a prospect, like if he really doesn't like who gets the number one pick, like obviously, you know, they're going to take him. You know what I mean? Like whoever's going to get it more than likely they're going to take him. It's going to be hard, you know, to like get anyone to sway to, to not take that guy. But like, I almost wonder if this could be like an Eli Manning esque situation where this guy has a heck of a lot of power compared to other prospects to where, he could potentially force his way to a destination if he wanted to. I'm, I'm just curious to see what ends up happening, but ultimately like, you know, I like now that the December 15th date has come, I think we're going to start to see a lot of teams really start to make a decision of, all right, what are we doing here? You know? And I think, you know, like, you know, I'm going to be interested to see if any other teams attempt to put themselves in the Wembenyama sweepstakes, you know, like, like Chicago, if they wanted to could very easily it within a week, be a win, be a Wemby sweepstakes team and be very much in it. If they, if they, if they flip that switch now, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And with their pick to Orlando, unless it's top four, I believe like they have another incentive to want to do that. Yeah. I mean, the GM probably doesn't want to do that just to save his job. I mean, he traded all these assets and then he goes to the owner and says, Oh, now we're going to lose, even though I pretty much promised that we're going to do the playoffs and, Right. Like we'll run with all these signings, but we shall see. Um, last thing on Wimbenyama, though, the, the one place I think that is kind of – I don't think any of them are bad because I think Wimbenyama would work anywhere, but the one I do have the most trepidation about is in Houston. And you alluded to it with Jalen Green. Like maybe the organization would say move over, but as we've seen with Jalen Green, he's not going to be okay with that. They still have Eric Gordon, who they refuse to trade um, oddly. 
Alperin Shangun is there, who doesn't really play defense, is more of a low post player. Yeah. Like the, they could make it work as again, Wembenyama could do anything, but that's not the ideal pairing. Like even in Oklahoma City, like Chet and Wembenyama would be fantastic. That'd be great yeah. together because um, Chet really doesn't need to demand the ball. I mean, there is a way that he could develop into more of a like creator, but just what he showed at Gonzaga last year was more of a supplementary piece and he can continue yeah. to be that and continue to be like a Horace Grant or a Larry Nance type of player while women Yama's like Ralph Sampson or Hakeem Elijah Wan, one of those fantastic right. ones. Um, the only way in, the in Houston, Houston's the only one let I'm like, because yeah. you just have to take the ball out of the hands of the players that you already have invested in. And it starts with Jalen Green, who just loves to put up shots. And that's also the kind of player he is like, right. so how would that work? And, I, and that's why I feel like, you know, if the, if there was going to be a situation where he was going to join a team that had some young players, you know, that needed the ball, it would be Detroit because it is the it is, in my opinion, you know, culturally of all these like if if like in, in you know, like obviously I don't want to like sound biased here, but like if we're looking at all these all these teams that are at the bottom here, I would say the two best cultures as far as like, you know, their compete level on a night to night basis you know, like how things are ran, you know, like, you know, like the structure of their franchise. I would say the two strongest or like teams down here are Detroit and San Antonio, you know, like obviously Oklahoma city, you know, has something pretty damn good brewing. You know, I, I, I to me, I still think they're in that like little bit upper echelon just with SGA and everything. I don't see them being able to be down in the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes fully just because SGA is playing amazing basketball right now. You know, like I, I just, you know, like as a whole, like I think, you know, like like day one, Wemby could come in with like a like like I said with like with, with like I think like Detroit has some of the best young playmaking talent in the league, and you know, you 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 throw any any great big alongside playmakers like that, it can it can take their game to a whole other level. And again, you know, it's not like it's not like if he was in Detroit they wouldn't be saying, Hey, we got to get him the ball. You know what I mean? Like wherever he goes, getting him the ball is going to be a priority. But, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I'm glad that we're going to be talking about other prospects too. Cause you know, it, it, it's so easy to get lost in the sauce with Victor because he is an all-time great prospect, but this isn't just an all-time great one prospect draft. This is an all-time great draft from the depth of, of beyond Victor as well. Like, you know, like if Scoot Henderson was the number one prospect of this draft draft class, we'd be saying this is this is the best number one prospect in the last few years. Well, some of us would be saying it. I, I think Scoot's kind of one of those that not everybody seemed to be sold on. And it might be like prospect fatigue because he had the year in the G League this last year and people saw him. And now it's mm -hmm. one of those things where, you know, the more you're the top guy or one of the top guys, like people are just going to pick apart your game now. Right. When Yama was on the bench for Asvel, I finally remember the name of the team. Last year, they didn't really utilize him that much. I mean, in Euro in European ball, if you're not an already an established veteran who is proven that you're a winning basketball player, you are not getting major minutes, even yeah, if they you're like you a Victor Wembanyama. So he wasn't playing much, and now like everybody's getting to see the full skill set. Even though he was projected to be number one, it's why he's not getting the same type of scrutiny with Scoot. Whereas Scoot, it's like you need to improve your three-point shot. And now it's like, okay, he did that and he's doing everything else. But yeah, he's still doing everything else. It's like this fantastic assist to turnover ratio. Looks like Derek grows with a jump shot. The defense is still whatever. 
and then the size he's limited like that's the thing too with scoot is he's just going to be 62195 that's just he is what he is right um so yeah i definitely agree with you in terms of him being great but i think not everybody is sold on him the way they are that's fair yeah. That's fair. He's I'm, a hell of a player, though. He's a hell of a player, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I'm of the mindset that if the Pistons land the pick number one, they take Victor Weminyama. If the Pistons land pick number two, they take Scoot Henderson. I know they just took Ivy. I know Killian's training a corner, but to keep it real, like Killian, we don't really know what he is yet. We, we also know this is going to hold up. And then, like, you just can't pass on a prospect well, that plays the way that Scoot does. And even with all the young, even with like all the guys that we have at specific positions, like when you're at the top of the lottery, no matter what your team's composition is, like you're not in a luxury position to draft for anything other than who's the best player on the board. And so like, I, I agree with you that like, if they, if like, I think I almost feel like the worst case scenario would be getting the second overall pick, it, like in a weird way, like it would be like the worst case, just because of how awkward that would be. Like just from a, because because legitimately, what do you do? Like, do you like do you move one of your guys that you have right now? Do you say let's rock with these four guard prospects and see if we can make a like a pseudo four guard system work? Like I like it. Listen, it like they they could go a lot of different directions with it, you know. But like you know, I am interested to see like you know like what's going to be available where they land in like, because I, I like other than like, obviously like other than Victor, like we need wing talent. We need athletic wings who can, you know, who can, you know, help switch and play on the defensive end. Like we, we need length and athleticism. So like to your point, that's where it gets tricky of like, if we, if we're landing at second or even, even at third, like, you know, on everyone's big boards right now, amen, Thompson, you know, like a guy who can play great ball, but you and I were talking beforehand, like he doesn't seem like the greatest fit either, you know? Slow down there, buddy. We're going to get to that. So, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. So you're talking about wing talent, about other positions. So my question to you is, is Scoot number two for you then? I would say so. I would still say so. I mean, for me, it's kind of like you said, like a lot of people are, you know, like are, are quick to critique and and pick apart people's games from what i saw from scoot you know like i that 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 game that uh victor Wimbanyama come out party game is gonna be you know in my opinion something we look back on for a long time as like a special event but like people forget that wasn't a coming out party for just for Wimby. like henderson played a hell of a game himself and like you know uh, like i in in looking at you know, his, his abilities and his talent, like in my opinion, other than Victor, like he's the most polished player, like in this draft from everything that he can do. And even though he's six, two, his, his burst of speed, his explosion, his IQ, the way that he plays, like he's, and also like, he's just got that fight in him. And if you're talking and, and listen, and, and I've, I've made this point before I've been yelled at for saying it on, on, uh, on, uh, on, on the table talk coming from a, for coming from a city in Detroit, I'm I'm never going to feel apprehensive of a small guard because I've seen us win and play pretty damn well with a small guard. Yeah, we won two titles. Exactly. We've done it twice. Exactly. So, yeah, man. I, all I'm saying, like, Scoo Henderson, like, it, it certainly wouldn't be a consolation prize. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you that haven't done this Scoot's game, 
fantastic mid-range shooter, this advanced point guard starter, NBA point guard starter kid of a really good mid-range shooter, somebody who maintains a two-to-one or better assist-to-turnover ratio, operates in pick-and-roll, attacks the rim, has really good athleticism, drawn comparisons to uh, like a Derrick Rose. Um, this year, the three-point shot has come around more. And really the biggest deficit in his game is defense, but he plays in the G League. The G League got its name changed from the D League to the G League because there is no D in the G League anymore. And you're not encouraged to play defense, so it's not exactly the best indicator of like what is your defensive potential. I mean, look at Jalen Green, look at Kaminga, uh, Dyson Daniels last year, these guys that have come out of the Ignite or guys that have developed in the G League. That's just not something that's stressed there. But hopefully he can turn into that. He definitely has the athleticism to be right. Well, really listen with this point guard defender. Yeah, with his size, he's always going to be an inherently limited defender. Yeah, one like, position, maybe two position, depends on his wingspan. Right. Like there's there's a potential that like he can, you know, like there's there's been small small guys who can defend and have been pests and who and you know who can get into guys' space. It's just about whether or not they want to put in the commitment. And you know that's. You know, like to your point, like, you know, that that will definitely be the question is what he can do on that side of the ball. But like when you talk about like putting like when you talk about like of of all the guys in this draft, who do I want to put the ball in their hands and like go make something happen and like make my team run? Like, I feel like he's going to be able to come in and like, yeah, he's going to make he's going to he's going to have a lot of turnovers. He's going to have to get used to the NBA size. He's going to have to adjust just like everyone else. But like, it's not going to take long. It's, it's definitely not going to take long. Yeah, absolutely. And next to a basketball genius like Cade, it's just going to be, you know, <laughs> even better, right? It's just going to be even better. Yeah. So. It, like, it's good. Like, it's like, you're like, you, you want it to happen. I can tell you got the rose color. You, you wanted it to happen even before Ivy came on. And then after Ivy came on, you're like, yeah, I still want Scoot. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. He's a great player. Yeah. One and two. I mean, to me, it's, it's not going to change. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat now, Joe here. For those of you who are just going to listen in, I got the Joe Dumars in the background. He's got the two phones. He's got one on there for you, Mr. Sean half court. Sean Murphy, and he wants to know, you are the GM of our Detroit Pistons. You got the number three overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Who do you, Sean Murphy, pick at number three? This is where it gets interesting to me because I feel like this is where this is where you could you, you could justify multiple different approaches to me. You know, like I know all I've heard outside of this, you know, outside of this top two is man the thompson twins the thompson twins the thompson twins they're going to take over the nba and these guys you know these guys both look like special players obviously amen thompson is the is is the better of the two i know you and i talked beforehand and you know it's a guy you know amen thompson a guy who doesn't exactly have a jump shot you know at this point that would be a little bit of a question another guy who needs the ball in his hands you know at this point i could see you know detroit you know looking at you know at the guys that are available and and at this point maybe you know, they look at the talent and, 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 and fit does become a little bit more part of the equation. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, like some of these, I, I'm excited to see some of these wing prospects this year. Like I, guys, I'm going to be going to be watching specifically Brandon Miller from Alabama. You know, like, I know he's a guy that, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people in the Pistons community really like, 
I'm excited to see what Cam Whitmore at Villanova does, you know, see like what he develops into this season. You know, like I, to me, it's just, we, we just need length. We need, you know, defensive versatility. In, in my opinion, I very much, you know, look at whatever piece we're getting, getting in this draft is very much a, you know, complimentary, like, you know, like next piece of the puzzle. Obviously I know, you know, like if you're getting a pick this high, this is going to be a fundamental player to what you're doing going forward. But, you know, to me, it's like, you know, when, when you look at where this team needs to develop and change and grow and where we really need to get better, we need size and we need length and we need to get better on the defensive end, man. We can't stop a nosebleed right now, dog. Like, so like, that's why, like to me, it's, 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 it's hard for me to say, yeah, like I, I totally am with you in the sense that if they're at two, it's hard for me to say, like say anything other than let's get scoop. But at the same time, if, if, if this off season, we just come back with a ton of guys that are six, five and under, I mean, we're going to struggle next year, man. So the question is today, December 15th, 2022, if the draft happened right now, who are you going to take number three? I mean, this can change over time, obviously, but just right now, I mean, even if you have seen everybody, if you know, the field is limited, just knee jerk reaction. You look at this player and you're like, I want them on the Detroit Pistons. I literally said all that. And I'm going to contradict myself. If, if, if you're telling me right now, I have to take a player. Like if you are saying today, I'm at third, I'm forced to pick no matter what. I'm going to go amen Thompson. I'm going to go with the highest ceiling that's available. I'm going to go with the guy that, you know, you know, that everyone's, you know, look like, you know, putting overtime elite on the map, you know, like just like the, the, the special type of, you know, athlete that he is, you know, his ability, his overall abilities, everything that he has, you know, he, he is a type of guy that, you know, I could definitely see coming in and, and having an impact and being a bucket. But like, you know, it's like you said, it's going to come down to, you know, like what he's going to be able to do on both ends. Can he be that versatile guard that, you know, that can, that can do more than just, you know, create for himself and, you know, and just take a lot of shots and turn the ball over. Like, I'm just interested to see, you know, how his game translates day one. And if he were to be in Detroit, what it would be like to have him alongside Kate and, and what it would be like, you know, have him alongside Ivy and like, you know, obviously that the shooting would be a struggle from day one, but like, you know, that would have to develop, but that that's any, that's almost any young guy that comes in, right? Like even good shooters need to become better shooters when they come in the NBA. That's every player. So, you know, but like, you know, it, but that's just because it's, it's hard to pass on the almost known commodity, right? It's like, you look at a guy like, 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 you know, like amen Tom, it's like, you know, I'm excited. Like I said, I'm excited to see what Brandon Miller is at Alabama. I'm excited to see what that looks like. We still have a lot of season left, man. You know, so I, it's just that, that's just where I'm at right now. It's, it's, that's the, it's, it's tough because it's December and I'm not going to lie to you. I was kind of hoping I didn't have to think about who I wanted to draft in December, but here we are. <laughs> but also, I don't think it's like totally against what you were saying. You said we need size, we need length, we need defense. Those yeah. are all uh, three things that Amen Thompson brings to the table. Six foot seven. 198, 200, somewhere in there. Fantastic athleticism, has mm -hmm. very good bounce. Is mainly the point guard for the City Reapers of Overtime Elite right now. The three-point percentage does look bad. Um, He's shooting 17% from three? Yeah, there's no way around it, right? Um, so that's the thing. If you listen to NBA Big Board, Rafael Barla did a mock draft last week, I believe. And the Pistons ended up three. 
And he ended up taking Amon Thompson for him. And his thing was, this seems like a bad fit with Kate, with Ivy, with Amon, because Amon can't shoot. Ivy's still ironing those kinks out too. And Kate's percentage hasn't been great yet. We all believe Kate will shoot. I'm, I think that'll be fine. In, in, in my opinion, with the, with the lingering shin thing, because from the sounds of it, this wasn't like a thing that just appeared out of nowhere. You got to think with his shin issue, with his shin issue that like, you know, he didn't exactly have like the most stable base, you know, to shoot off of. So like, you got to think that explains some of the shooting issues that Cade had at the beginning of the season. You got to think if he's healthy, that's going to, you know, that's going to help a little bit more. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like with Ivy, with his shot, the most, like, his shot is fascinating to me because I don't think mechanically, like I, I don't think he has like a terrible jump shot from like, from like a mechanic standpoint. His, his release is just so weird because it's never the same. You never know where the ball's going to go. It could, it could go way too far. It could be way too short. Like his arc and, and like where, you know, where the ball goes is, is just not consistent. So I think that's the thing. He's just got to find a, a shot that he can repeat a release point that he can repeat. Because in, in my opinion, like that, that's the big thing. If you're not like, if you're not shooting the ball like the same way every time, it's going to be hard to consistently make shots in this league. It just is. Yeah, I agree. And again, to go back to, to Amon Thompson and the fit, it's like, okay, these are all three guys that need the ball in their hands. So what are the other two doing if Amon comes in and they're like, yeah, we believe in this guy's ability to attack the rim with the ball in his hands, we see that he is a high-level playmaker, averaging a ton of assists. And that's the main thing that pops every time you look at him is just his live dribble passing ability. It would be dumb for any team that drafted him to bring him in and be like, hey, we're going to stick you in the corner. Or like, hey, we're going to make you do a lot right. of cutting stuff. Even though the cutting and the off-ball stuff, I don't think it's been done enough because of his bounce and his maybe ability to set screens and be like small forward, power forward, because he has size and athletic ability to do that, but just the, the basic skill set is an attacking point guard who will get you a ton of open looks, no matter who your team is. So that forces Cade to take the ball less. And then Ivy, I think, is the one that suffers the most in this yeah, scenario because if this is number three, Amin, and his skill set is less shooting than Ivy. It almost puts Ivy in a competition right away. And even then, like, there's almost, you know, like, I, I don't even think there is a competition right now. Like, I already see... I already saw after last night, some fans are already starting to say, I don't know. I think Killian might still be the guy over, over Ivy. I'm like, let's slow down a little bit. If we were to still look at their averages, Ivy's still almost doubling what, what, what Killian's doing, even though Killian's stepping it up. And even then, you know, it's, it's a similar thing of where Killian was at of Ivy's still very much in his early days. This could indeed be his rookie wall. That, that he's hitting so to speak i'm i'm interested to see how he develops and where he gets from there but you know to your point like if you know if detroit does get you know if they're not one and they and they are two or three i think they're going to be a, in a very difficult position and, and that's where i bring up i wonder if you know you could position that I, because i really do think that this is a draft where you could take where you could go to a team and say hey I'll give you the second or third overall pick. And a, and a team wouldn't laugh you off. Like they would actually like, this would actually be an opportunity for a team. If they wanted to trade a star, this could be a, a draft where they could trade up and start over and get a guy like Scoot or Amon Thompson and, and, and 
and take that route. So like, I would be interested to see if Detroit doesn't get the number one overall pick and they don't get in a spot that they absolutely love. I almost wonder if they almost, you know, defer from drafting in that spot and maybe see if they can go get a star instead with that pick. I'd be curious to see what you thought about that. I, I think Troy Weaver's MO has been to build through the draft. This has been it. And then once right. the team is established after three or four years, that is the case. And I think the Amin Thompson pick and why people continue to make it, even if it's Detroit and third, and even though a super draft expert like Rafael Barlow is still saying Amin third is Amin is a home run swing. The second episode of this podcast, Res Ball, was thinking about does shooting even matter when it comes to the Thompson twins. And we saw there are guys like a DeJounte Murray. There are guys like a Pascal Siakam. There are guys like a Jalen Brown who had this profile of shooting terribly at the free throw line, shooting terribly uh, from three, and then ending up being good NBA players. And somebody like DeJounte Murray, it doesn't even matter that he can't shoot. It It mattered a little bit in the playoffs. But again, he was kind of the guy in San Antonio, didn't get a, a ton of shine. Pascal Siakam, the defensive versatility, has been the thing, has shot it enough to be good uh, in that regard. But the defensive versatility, the other things he can do on offense, make him a very good player. That's, again, that sounds like Amon Thompson, right? And then lastly, Jalen Brown is the best example in recent times of somebody who looked terrible as a shooter uh, in his one lone season in college and then turned it around in the NBA slowly but surely. And Amon has a better handle and is a way better passer than Jalen Brown even is right now, in my opinion. So, yeah, the home run swing is there. I think that makes a ton of sense, even though I am just like, oh, this seems to be something that I would really, really not want to do because of that Ivy, Cade, and Amen fit. If we think of positionless basketball, too, the last thing on Amen is really you. your position is who you guard, right? And in this case, Ivy can guard point guards, hopefully. Cade can still be the two guard, and then Amen has the size and the athletic ability to guard the small forward position. So that could work on defense. That actually works. Fine. Caden and Ivy might have to switch out, and Ivy has to get a, a lot better as a point guard defender for sure. You don't want Caden handling that, and moving him over to small forward kind of eliminates the size mismatch things. But defensively, those three can work. It's just offensively. Hopefully, you, it would it would pan out. It might take a little bit longer, too. You would have to like, really iron out some kinks. Yeah, and like Pascal Siakam took, what, three to four years before becoming, you know, passable on offense to be a supplementary role player. DeJounte Murray took a couple seasons. His three-point shot still really hasn't come around. And then Jalen Brown, it took uh, about a season for it to look fine and, and to be okay. It took his free throw percentage a little bit longer. But Amon seems to be okay with that. Um, but for me, if I had the number three overall pick right now, I would actually take the other Thompson twin, Asar, who <laughs> I think is better than uh, Amon because not only does he have scoring ability right now, Amin is scoring 18.6 points per game, but he's also shooting 60% from two-point range and then 35.7% from three. His three-point shot shoot. has looked pretty good. And the main thing with him, too, is he's playing not necessarily a supplemental role, but something more like a Chris Middleton, where it's like Amin's the guy, they're going to give him the ball and let him run the show. But... Asar has been scoring more a lot because he has the setup there. He's worked on that set shot to where the percentage has continued to go up and the mechanics look a lot smoother. He's not attempting shots that he should have no business attempting right now, really off the dribble a lot of times. And as an attacker, he also has this awesome like hook shot. If you're any Michigan basketball fans out there, you remember Xavier Simpson's hook shot 
like uh, Osar has that same thing, and he's a lot taller, six seven, like two o two with those long arms. That's going to become an indefensible shot if he continues to perfect that. A little bit less athletic than his brother, but still very much has the hops. Is an awesome cutter too, as well. That's a, another thing to me that gets me excited, and I see in the film like, oh, this works perfectly next to like a Sadiq right between Ivy and Kate, that kind of thing to where, like you said, size and athleticism, absolutely. And the last thing on the Thompson twins for me in terms of their like, you know, positive profile is they always get after on defense. You're not going to have to worry about it for either of these guys. They both just seem like dogs, like guys that are just. Yeah, and they can handle multiple positions. I think they could handle the shooting guard through the power forward position three. Maybe even point guard. It's yet to be determined since, like, over time, Ali, we're not seeing many fantastic NBA-level point guards running through that gym there. But they are very athletic. That's not out of the question. But I Not think a lot of defense in overtime elite either. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I yeah, – Trying to so, get around that. So would you say Would you say with, uh, you know, with, with Amon and, and Oscar, um, Oscar Thompson, would you say – it's it's the ceiling versus the floor conversation. It's like you know, like Austin. No, like I think Mike. there's different kinds of. They're just different types of players. Like Amon, right. you hope the the bet is they become a force of nature, or Amon becomes a force of nature, like a Giannis, like at right. his very ceiling. Because yeah, that's you could say those same things about Giannis. Nah, I don't know about this jump shot. This kid can handle the ball. I can pass some, but. Giannis was also seven one with a seven. Yeah, but he came into the, he came into the league at like six eight six nine, and he grew. So nobody knew that was going to happen either. Like, uh, yeah. if, imagine if you were a scout and you're like, "I believe this kid will grow two inches and and put thirty pounds of pure muscle on." Yeah. Like you were laughed out of the, the yeah. NBA. Yeah, everyone that was like, "How did no one draft Giannis when they were like?" I was like. Because, did you pay attention to basketball when Giannis was coming into the league? Because at the time, drafting overseas guys was a was a huge risk. And even then, like he did, he, like to to put it kindly, he did not look NBA ready when he came to the league. He just did. Yeah, and with someone like Amin, if he does become like such a force of nature with the ball in his hands to create to play multi positional defense, maybe not at the M two time MVP. Giannis level, but like Pascal Siakam, then again, that is somebody that is absolutely worth the number three overall pick and would cause fits and mismatch advantages there. Whereas Asar is more of like a Sean Marion or um, he is somebody that Andrew Wiggins has been the other name that has been thrown out there um, mm -hmm. for him. I, I still struggle to find a one for one comp. These are not my comps. So don't, don't, don't aggregate this. Don't put this on me. But those are the names I've heard out there. Again, guys that are supplementary, fantastic defense. Wiggins, it took a while, um, but still, the uh, they use their athleticism to supplement the, the main guys at a super high level that just can't be replaced. I mean, Mikhail Bridges might be another name to throw out there with Asar, who can be a prime. The thing with Asar, too, can be a primary offensive option, not the guy, but one of the guys there. Mm -hmm. So that's just the thing, the difference between the two. One just needs the ball in their hands all the time. And Asar does not always necessarily need the ball in his hands, but can create when asked to. I think they're just two different types of players is really what it is. Yeah. I think, I think of, I think of the teams in this, who's going to be at the top of the lottery, whoever goes to Detroit is going to have the best shot to compete this next year. I think like that's going to be where, you know, like in my opinion, like Orlando, I still think they're kind of like, you know, like next year, I still think they'll kind of be a year away. I still think they'll need a little bit more talent. I still think, you know, like if I think that's a team where like if they could get scoop, that would be like a match made in heaven of, of like a scoop Paulo pairing 
you know, like from like a pick and roll standpoint, from like an offensive standpoint, from both their playmaking abilities and their creation abilities. Like, I think that would be great for them, especially with, with how little, you know, if like, if Jalen Suggs is a guy, like he's, he's looked better this year, but it's like, like better enough to not draft scoot. Heck no. <laughs> you know, like, so I, uh, yeah, man, it's, it, it's, I am just excited to see how this draft class unfolds and just to see more like how these guys play this year, because when you look at the, like the amount of talent that's coming into the league each year, each year, it's just, it is ridiculous, man. And this class is just another one of those classes where you just go, man, like it's, it's like the gaps just getting tighter and tighter, dude. It just is. Speaking of going, man, what happens in the scenario where your team lands outside of the top five? So say our Pistons, do not get a top five pick this year. They land somewhere in the six to 10 range. What happens in that scenario? I mean, in my opinion, those are the scenarios that you drafted Troy Weaver for is, is to find value wherever you're drafting. And, you know, like those, those are the differences between like the good and the great teams. I think from there, like, I think, I think you try to find a guy who you, you think has some upside, but also can come and contribute right away i think from there like if, if you're if you're landing like six and like six and above i think you're looking for a for like a damn good role player that can that can like help do the little things for a long time i think like from like a new orleans stamp like if, if i were to compare us to the pelicans i think you're looking for your herb jones at that spot you're looking at your like one of your you know like one of your anchors that like yeah sure can do things on the offensive end that you could put the ball in their hands and do stuff from there but i think like you know, at that point, like, again, like, like find the best wing talent you can, you know, like swing for the freaking fences, find a guy who can, you know, who can come in and, and, and is ready to play defense and compete right away. Like, in my opinion, like six up, like that should be the priority. Like if, if they don't, like if they keep the pick, if they, you know, if they don't try to like get multiple picks, if there's not like multiple prospects that Troy Weaver likes, like, I think, you know, like you just, you just try to find, you know, like a guy who can come in and like, really help make a difference because like, you know, I, I think like, even though we're going to have the cap space this summer, we're like, we're going to be able to make more moves and, and, and get, you know, like more talent on the roster. I still think if Detroit wants to compete and take a next step next year, it's going, they're going to have to need, they're going to have to get someone out of this class that can contribute day one in some capacity. Right. Like this isn't like a situation where like, I don't think this is a draft where you draft a project, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely whoever like the best overall talent is. But again, thinking back to Jalen Dern, Jalen Dern was a project for a lot of different people. And even in the fandom, they kind of um, right. saw it that way. So I think it just is, like you said, the, the, how you started it. This is why Troy Weaver is here to make these decisions to be like, yo, you know what? Jalen Dern is not a project. We like him top five and would have probably yeah. taken him up there that high too. But all, but also though, like, like, the, but the, but the other difference though, is that this, like, but again, like, this year was never the cash in year, right? Like this, like this upcoming, like the season that we're in right now was never the cash in year. Like this, this next year, like is when Detroit expects to turn the corner. Right. So like, I think that's like, in my opinion, like, does that change your draft philosophy? I think it does slightly, you know, like I, like, I still think, you know, if, if, if this upcoming summer, if Duran was in the draft class, I still think Weaver would have moved mountains to go get him. But like, you know, again, like I just I, I do think it does maybe change things a little bit, but I don't know. I could be wrong. So draft philosophy. My question to you is if the team does land us out of the top five. And I mean, even in the top five, but I think this pertains more to if they don't land one of these top five picks. Does 
the, the double beef lineup now that they've rolled it out there. And if you don't know what the double beef lineup is, it's Jalen Duran and Beef Stew, Isaiah Stewart, playing together. It seems this is one of the things they really want to try, they really want to invest in. Mm -hmm. Does having these two guys like mean that the team, Detroit Pistons, will not look at a power forward or a center? And here I'm thinking of somebody like Jairus Walker or Gigi Jackson who would be in this range. Um, especially Jairus Walker, I think a lot of people who love old school defensive focused Detroit basketball would say he is a perfect fit for the city and the team. But if the Duran beef stew double beef lineup is the thing, does this mean that they're really going to look away from drafting a power forward or a center? I, I think, I think, you know, again, they're in a position in their rebuild or in their restoration where anything's on the table. I think, you know, like it, like again, like if if that best player available is a power forward or is like another type of a big, like I think, like you you definitely look at it. I, I think you know, like as far as like you know, like a starting center goes, it's hard pressed for me to find someone that's going to be able to come in and have more upside than Jalen Duran in that spot, just from his athleticism, his age, his his defensive ability, like what you want from that position. It's just hard pressed for me to find someone that's going to be better in this draft than Jalen Duran. I could be wrong, but you know, like as far as like Isaiah Stewart goes, like to your point, like I like I, I very much think like Isaiah Stewart thus far has like to me, I, I I think he's been playing better than I expected him to play from starting at the power forward spot from like not playing the position before in his life outside of summer league, right? And I think you even saw like even though like last night like you didn't like like the Hornets game, you didn't see the defensive like ability or upside of that front court, because again, bloody hell, how many points they let up. But, you know, you, you saw from like, you know, how they can control the glass and like, you know, like how they can, you know, like be like a force together. Like, I really do think, you know, like there, there certainly is legs to, you know, to, you know, to that lineup. But also I, I do think there's, there's something to having the ability to, to make it, to switch up lineups, to have different combinations. Like, like for example, like my favorite, like one of my favorite teams in the league right now, like New Orleans Pelicans. They have like the way that their lineups composed. Like they have Jonas Valanciunas, and so if they want to, they can go out and they can start. They can start. Uh, they can start Zion. They can have you know Valanciunas out there, and then they don't really switch. They just stay home. You know Valanciunas can play outside the perimeter a little bit more, and then if they want to get more, if they want to get you know play more small ball, if they want to get more aggressive on defense, switch thing. You know, switch more, play with more variety. They can bring in Larry Nance Jr. and they can completely change their play style, right? So, like, I, I think there's something to be said about like even if they go in the direction of a power forward, and even if like a guy that we get in this draft is someone that like comes off the bench moving forward, I don't even think that's like a bad thing either. So, like, I think you know, like it, it's it's one of those things where to me, like you 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 certainly don't rule anything out, but I think thus far with how the experiment's going, you know, with how good Dern's been so far. And in my opinion, I think Isaiah Stewart has taken, you know, some real steps and definitely looks like an improved player this year. Like I, like I was just thinking about this last night, the player that Isaiah Stewart is now compared to the guy that, you know, you know, started his rookie years, just like a high effort, you know, like, like backup big that, you know, really just was, was making plays with his heart, not necessarily with his talent. Isaiah Stewart is a skilled basketball player now. Like you can't say that he isn't just an F like that. He's just an effort guy, you know, like he, they're like, there is real legs 
to this, you know, to this, like, you know, like to this Al Horford type experiment. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point of like the Pelicans thinking of uh, Jonas Valanciunas and Larry Nance, I don't think the team would want to draft Larry Nance or Jonas Valanciunas at six to 10. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I think this is the one position for me that I have a harder time buying into outside of Victor Wembanyama, who's, I don't even want to really like say he's power forward center. That's probably where he's going to end up, but this is just like an alien, right? Yeah. Um, there are people throwing out there that maybe he could play small forward. I mean, that, that type of anomalous production, but yeah. yeah like we were calling him unicorn at the beginning. This guy's a freaking Martian. This is, yeah. this is like, this is like out of the blip, like big bang theory type stuff of like, how did this get here? What in the heck? Like, these are like, we're going to be asking questions about the universe type stuff down the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other like quote unquote power forward guys that are in the mix here, like Cam Whitmore or Brandon Miller, they could slide over to the three as well, play next to a Boyan or a Sadiq or take their place uh, in the lineup play alongside the beef stew and Jalen Duren type lineup. So it just seems that Jairus Walker, probably the only guy within the six to the six to 10 range that like should be considered right now as of this point. So yeah, for me, I think the, the power forward center is the one position that not only because of talent, but I think this investment in Duran and, and beef stew seems like that would be the one position they would be leaning towards and leaning away from as well, yeah. especially with the lack of wings. It's Kate and Ivy Killian and then Sadiq. It's whatever's going on with Sadiq right now. It's hard to tell if his role is going to stay in the starting lineup long term or if it's going to be on the bench. And then you have Stu and Duran. The hole, obviously, there is in the wing position. So, yeah, we don't even know if Sadiq will be here beyond the deadline. I mean, like, like I, I, I personally, I like, I don't think they're actively looking to mark, like, to, to move Sadiq Bay. I'm just, I think that if, if they were to move him, the price is known. You know what I mean? And and I don't know, you know, like, I don't know who's lining up to pay an unprotected first round pick at the moment for Sadiq. I mean, he's an insanely talented player. I don't know, like, if I'd want to give up on him right now. And I don't really know if there's a reason to trade him before, like, before the deadline or like, you know, like, or even this year in general, like, if you were to move him, I feel like that's something you could do this summer if you wanted to package him in a move to go, like, like secure more talent. Like, I feel like that's like a piece. Like if you're going to start trading members of the core, you're going to, you're going to have to like do so for a very good reason. You know what I mean? And like, I I'll, I'll say this of all the players on the team outside of Cade, there's only one guy outside of Cade. I'm very confident. will never get traded. And that's Isaiah Stewart. Because to me, like, he just seems like a, like when you talk about like the heart and soul of what this, of this restoration is and what this team's trying to be, he's it. Like he's the heart and soul of this team. You know, like just from like who he is and how he plays and the motor that he has and like the way he keeps like re- like growing and, and getting better. Like he he clearly is a fundamental part of what they're doing, whether he's in the starting lineup, whether he's off the bench. I like he like to me, like Isaiah Stewart is like a guy that will be a, a piston for the long haul. It's hard for me to picture him being anywhere else. Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. Temperament, mentality, game, everything just seems to be in line of saying this is a detroit guy yeah like from rochester new york like grew up like like being into box like was like a boxer like just tough as nails like you know like like just calm demeanor you know like like 
everything you hear about him, he's the like nicest, sweetest guy off the court, but on the court, he's a menace and he's just looking to win at any cost. Like, yeah, man, just it, it's, I, it's hard for me to love a young, like, like it's, it's hard for me to like, you know, love young players quite like Isaiah Stewart. Cause like, like he, he's a rare breed just from, just from his, 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 uh, his, uh, demeanor. Like the fact that people compare him to Ben Wallace at all says something, you know, like they're obviously not going to be the same defensive talent talent, but like, you know, but Isaiah Stewart's overall game his overall defensive versatility and switching and his, his perimeter game with, you know, like with his ability to stretch the floor. Like I just, I, that's a guy that I'm just, you know, don't, 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 don't bet low on him. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. So the last question here in terms of the Pistons as, Again, six to ten range. They fall outside of the top five. Does Jay Nivey now factor in? I guess Killian Hayes as well, since Killian's starting to come around, really turn the corner, played fantastic, you know, ice Dallas, helped to ice the Hornets just last night. Is guard really a, a, a position that's off limits here now? And I think it's more of a thing here in the six to ten range. Top five for a lot of different people composed of the top two. We've already talked about Vic and Scoot. Amen as well is top three for a lot of different people. And then you have somebody like a Cam Whitmore, who's 6'7", 232-ish, like small forward, power forward, super explosive. Brandon Miller's been in the mix. A lot of people have been talking about him as the number three overall pick, 6'8", 6'9", 200 pounds. But then outside of this top five and outside of this discussion of guys like this are prospects such as Nick Smith Jr., who's like 6'5", 185, 190, been labeled as a combo guard. Keontae George, six foot four, 185, has shown some point guard skills, labeled as a shooting guard, fantastic jump shooter. Cason Wallace, another guy here, uh, six foot four, 195, like Drew Holiday, 2.0. Almost. Yep. It's so easy to make that comparison anytime you see him out there on the on the court. And then I'll throw Anthony Black in here as well. Could be a forward as well, but the most skill that he's shown is at the point guard position as a passer and having the ball in his hands. Is this something that like if they're in the six to 10 range you have all these guys that have a lot of talent, but again, they play the guard position. Does taking Jaden Ivey really start to factor into this discussion of can we take somebody like a Keontae George or Nick Smith when we're trying to develop a Jaden Ivey? Well, again, I, I, I just think, you know, like, I, I think it starts with the similar premise of when you're at this stage, you don't, you don't really have the, the, the benefit or the luxury of drafting anything other than who's the best player available. But in my opinion, if, if you're like, if you're getting a pick that's like sixth and above, which I'll be honest, unless the, unless the Pistons get, you know, ungodly screwed in the lottery, I see very very unlikely happening unless Troy Weaver gets another pick in that, in that range. In my opinion, this is if you, if, if possible, this is where you try to find a guard who can play without the ball as much as possible. This is where you try to go get your, your Chris Duarte type guards. Your your you know, your, your guys who can contribute on both ends of the court. Your, your, your solid, you know, like efficiency pieces, guys who can shoot the basketball, but you know, don't need the ball in order to succeed, you know, because that, that because when you are talking about the development of Ivy, when you are talking about the development of Cade, like those are guys where like 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 Cade is 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 a guy where he doesn't need the ball in his hands, but this team just isn't going to be as good as it can be if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And I just 
you know, and, and if you're not getting a guy, you know, like, like, like the Thompson twins or like scoot, you know, at, at the very top, I don't think there's a guard in this draft that I want to have in the ball more than Ivy or Kate. So I think at that point, you know, you need to go get your best off ball, off ball guard that you can. And, and like, again, you try to find a guard that's as versatile as possible. That is as long and can defend. And like it, you, you try to find those characteristics. Like to me, like anything above, like from like the sixth pick on, I just have a hard time seeing anyone at that point being a better on ball guard, like on the offensive end than Ivy or, or Kate. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on Kate. Like none of these guys are Kate. Kate's a rare breed. Ivy, though, they might be able to compare. To- they might be able to compare from like an instinct and like from like from like a IQ standpoint right away. But I think where Ivy differs from a lot of these guys, it's gonna be hard to find a guy in this draft that has a burst like Ivy. Like I, I like his athletic, like the athletic intangibles almost bring him a step up. And to his credit, he's a better playmaker day one than people gave him, give him credit for, or than we thought he would be. So. That, that's yeah, just that's I, just my reasoning with Ivy. That's just my I think though, in terms of skill and upside, the defense and the shooting, like if you really I can't see a scenario where the team would just like give up on Ivy at the end of the season, but say it's at six and the top guys on their board are like Nick Smith Jr., Keontae George, Case and Wallace. We just said Case and Wallace, Drew Holiday 2.0. Really easy to make that that comparison. It's hard to pass up on somebody like that who you know is going to be a fantastic two-position defender at the guard who will always give Cade rest and does not need the ball in their hands as much as somebody like Ivy, who you've seen that that plays, quote-unquote, winning basketball. I hate using that, that term because I don't want to say that Ivy doesn't play that but does more of the little things right now that Ivy has yet to show. Not saying he can't do it. It's just that Kaysen Wallace yeah. already has this profile in this skill set that complements Cade perfectly. And the upside, I think they're just, they both have good upside. It's just that they're two different players. Ivy is more of like the Victor Oladipo upside if everything pans out. And again, Kaysen Wallace, like Drew Holiday, both fantastic players. Oladipo got hurt. We kind of already forgot how good he is. That's still two players I would like on my basketball team. Um, It's just how much do you buy into that upside? Keontae George, fantastic jump shooter, like one of the best jump shots you'll see out there, can put up high volume, also a really good playmaker. That was the thing that people didn't really know if he could play point guard because he didn't pass that much in high school, comes in and has shown that ability. And then man-to-man defense, he has been good in on a veteran-laden Baylor team. And another thing in his profile is as a freshman, he came in in the World Jam, dropped 37 on Brazil, dropped 30 in another game. This is on that, you know, team that's trying to push for a national title. And he already came in and established his scoring presence, then established his playmaking presence, continuing to establish the defense. Again, somebody that next to K that seems like the three things we really want out of Ivy, volume three-point shooting, playmaking, man-to-man defense. Again, that's really hard to to pass up if you buy into that skill set. Um, to pan out long-term at its highest. And then the last one, Nick Smith Jr., who I believe has some ability to slide over to the three, even though he's only six foot five, 185, a little bit like Shea Gilgis-Alexander and being able to handle defense. The one thing about him is he loves to play defense. Like he will play full court defense, even if it's not called for. This is somebody that will guard you the minute you get off the bus, the minute you get off the plane. His commitment to defense is rare. Also has a fantastic floater game that is already super refined. It's one of his go-to shots, a really good jump shooter. 
a little bit, a little bit, not the exact same game, but somebody like a Tyrese Halliburton who had that profile of like, ah, I don't know if he's going to finish that well or like, ah, I don't know if he's going to be a primary guy, but playmaking, he's a good playmaker. He has a good jump shooter. The attacking part is diff- different, but again, that's a compliment to Cade, right? You want Cade to attack and you right. want a Nick Smith Jr. to be more on the and and have that ability to play defense all the time, to have that mentality to want a full court press guys. I think this is where Troy Weaver is going to have to make some difficult decisions of like, okay, we know we believe in Ivy, but here are three guys that have these clear things that we know we already want out of the other guards. Right. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, like with, with, with Ivy, like he's insanely young. He is insanely young and like the 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 upside is there. It's gonna come down to like with the decision making, with the IQ, with some of that stuff. It's gonna come down to if if he wants to make those changes, if he wants to go down that route. And I think, you know, like I like a lot of people give the give the comparisons to Russell Westbrook. I don't see the same stubbornness. I don't see the same like, you know, like lack of, you know, like willingness to change his game. I, I do think there are nights where you do see like Ivy is capable of making really good decisions and playing within the flow of the game. I just think, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I especially think it will be good for him when the leash is shorter, because I think, you know, like right now it definitely is good that he can operate and that he can almost, you know, like learn through some of these failures and learn through some of these shortcomings. But like, I, I, I do think, I do think sometimes people talk a little low on Ivy and like, forget that, like, he's like, top three in this class in points per game. He's like leading this class in, in assists. He's first or second in steals. Like Ivy's been one of the best like players in this class so far. So I think there's like, you know, like I, I think there's a lot of reasons to still have optimism and, you know, like going forward again, like, you know, to your, to your point, I don't think it would be like if we drafted a guard, another guard, I don't think right away it would be like Ivy, you know, like see us so long sign, seal, deliver, you're out of here. But like at the same time, in order for him to reach his potential, he's going to have to make those adjustments. He's going to have to make those switches because there are definitely some times where he can just chuck some shots up in the like early in the shot clock. And it's like, there's times where he thinks his, his range is Curry like, and it's like, dude, you just got to stick as close to the three point line as possible. when you're shooting that thing. You do not have Curry range. My brother, you just don't. Yeah. And I know a lot of the fan base is like, Oh, we want Ivy to be the rip Hamilton. We want Ivy to be like the Joe D Shout out Joe D, no offense. Maybe he's the Vinny Johnson, right? Like you could see Ivy being that microwave off the bench if he's willing to accept that role. He would be fantastic in that type. The guard version of Corliss Williams, maybe right, of just coming in and continuing to put the pressure on scoring no matter what. He can thrive in that role too as well. We all want Ivy to succeed, to be a starter, but it's very rare that a team will draft back to back to back to back guys that end up starting. That end up you just don't like Ivy. High school. <laughs> you just don't like Ivy. <laughs> it's, it's historic. It's historic. Name me another team that drafted one guy after another, other than the the Oklahoma City Thunder, that ended up being like their long term starter. Listen, right? I get it. To st- listen, I get it's historic. But you could you could you can make numbers look a little bit more significant when there's some personal feeling behind it. I'm just all jokes aside, like I, Ivy's got Ivy's got a ceiling on him, man. But to your point, like there's definitely there's there's some kinks that have to be worked out. That's for sure. I'm not yeah, and again, I'm not there. dissing on Ivy. I'm keeping it real here. So 
Steve, uh, if I if I didn't leave this pod without at least giving you a little bit of a hard time, I didn't do my job. Well, I think you've done that all pod long, but <laughs> you're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's where we're at with the Pistons. We'll see how the rest of the season shakes out. Maybe a GG Jackson enters the conversation more. Uh, we'll talk about him. I will continue to do podcasts like I did with Steve Henson on guys that are in the race for number three, like we did with Brandon Miller. So keep an eye on lookout for that. Again, this isn't just for the Pistons. It's for teams like Orlando, teams like yeah. Oklahoma City, teams like Charlotte, teams like the Spurs and Houston that, you know, you're going to end up high. But what happens again if you get number three? What happens if you get outside of the top five and get that unlucky? There are going to be a lot of other talented guys in there. And to me, I, there's about 12 guys, I think, that are in the race for number three. And if everything broke right, there are some that it would take a lot of other things to happen. But there are others that like are right there. And the guys that are right there in the race, there's probably like four or five of them now. If you listen to Sam Vecini, Rafael Barlow, I'm trying to think of the other draft guys, uh, Keandre, Hoopinelec, like they all say that same thing. They have four or five different guys. They might have like three names that are the same, but it's a wide open race because it's super talented there. And also we have those two guys that everybody's vying for. So yeah, it'd be exciting to see how the rest of this season pans out in terms of the 2023 NBA draft class. But again, I want to thank Sean uh, for coming on here from half court. Definitely go follow him on Twitter, Sean half court. And from if half I can court, get that freaking account back, man, <laughs> God. Uh, all hail Elon, Lord. give me my account, bro. Yeah, maybe you didn't pay tribute to Lord Elon or something. I don't know. Um, That's the thing. I, I pay for the stupid Twitter blue. I should have my account. <laughs> well, podcast is from Half Court. Tell them your most recent episodes, what you got coming up. Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of content coming up. Again, you can follow us on From Half Court. Latest episode, talking a little bit more about the deadline, about the Cade news. You know, like if the Pistons should move Bojan Bogdanovic, what they should do going forward. So, and again, you just want to go over and subscribe to the channel. We're talking Pistons and NBA all the time. So have have always have content coming out. Absolutely. Go subscribe and then look out for both of us on Woodward Pistons. Shout out to our guy, Kool-Aid. Hope you're getting better and well, recovering from surgery, man. We're praying for your brother. Uh, shout out Lexi, Carl, Deuce, all the regular crew there on Table Talk as well. Again, mm -hmm. check us out on Woodward Pistons on YouTube. Subscribe to that channel if you have not yet done so. Also, go to Woodward Sports, check out all of the fantastic Piston stuff, both uh, Kool-Aid, Sean, and the rest of the staff put out there. So, again, I want to thank Sean for coming on here. We will have to do this again as the Absolutely, Piston season man. wears on, and they will continue to be in the race for Vic and Scoot. Oh, they're they're going to be at the front of that. They're going to be at the in the front of the lap, my friend. <laughs> Yeah. They're conducting the in there. They're one of the engineers just shoveling coal into the train, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you so much again for tuning in, Hogone, and we'll see you next time.